If you would, take out the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9 today. We continue our sermon series through the book of Philippians that we have called Joyful Witnesses. And our goal is that we would understand that in light of the gospel, how we can live in a world where we are, folks are searching for joy. They're searching for things to bring contentment. They're looking for some sort of hope. And yet we have that in the gospel and our whole countenance, our disposition because of the gospel serves as a witness that Jesus is Lord. And we want to dive deeper into that today. Um, one of the things about this warehouse is we don't have a lot of bells and whistles. And so as a church, uh, we gather here to study God's word, pray together, worship together. And then we're not really distracted by a lot of nice things. Um, but today we wish we had some nice things like a roof that didn't leak or a roof that put you to sleep during the sermon. Because if that rain cranks up again, what happened in the last service is we had folks standing up and walking, standing against the wall, because it will put you to sleep. Um, so uh, I want to encourage you to focus, and if you need to get up and walk around uh, during the sermon, if it rain starts again, or if you need to dodge some puddles, um, feel free to do that. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, if you would stand in reverence to the Word of God. And we stand in reverence because it is a declaration that Jesus is worthy. And he has spoken in his word. And when a, when a king speaks, you stand. When a, when a king is present, you give him honor. And because Jesus is worthy, we give our hearts and our minds over to his word in this moment. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You have learned and you have received from me and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Oh God, I pray as we open up your word that the Spirit would come and change our hearts and change the way that we think. Impress upon us the, the glorious beauty of Jesus who is perfect and righteous. And we would long to be like Him. And yet we would see our only hope is to be in Him. Oh, make that a reality. Make it make sense today. The Gospel, we need it. We need the Gospel, God. Oh, God, we need it. Oh, make it come alive in our hearts and our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hashtag FF82002. Zero, zero. 
Now, that probably doesn't mean much to most of you here today. Maybe a couple of you, it's going to mean something to you. And to the Haskins family, we may be some of the only people here who can really appreciate what those letters and what those numbers refer to. And unless you work at Sherwin-Williams, you, you probably have no clue what, what that could even mean. But that is the exact color code for the official University of Tennessee orange. Can I get an amen from the stories over here? That is the exact color code of the University of Tennessee school colors, that, that orange, not the the, the Texas orange, I don't even know what the kind of orange that is. That's like a faded orange, an orange that didn't work so well. Not Auburn's orange and certainly not Clemson's orange, but the glorious orange of the University of Tennessee. And I could, I could wax eloquent on why that is the most beautiful, the most beautiful of all school colors. It, 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 that orange displays... And it's meant to, it's designed to display fall in East Tennessee. Now, as, as much as some of you hate Tennessee, the University of Tennessee, you love the fall in East Tennessee. You're always driving down to Redneck Disney World down there in Gatlinburg and staying in those cabins and admiring. I see your pictures on Instagram. You love the fall in East Tennessee. It's breathtaking. And that orange is meant to represent fall in East Tennessee. The God, it's not, it's not just man-made color. You see God has made that color in the Great Smoky Mountains. And you look at it and it's breathtaking. That is the most beautiful of all school colors. Now, as I say that, many of you are saying you're an idiot. That is disgusting. I hate the sight of that orange. That orange is what convicts wear when they pick up garbage on the side of the streets. I can't stand that orange. That is pumpkin seed vomit orange. I can't stand the sight of that orange. And, and I realize that I and a few others here, we can see beauty where others can't. Like one of the most beautiful things to me, and it's hard for me to describe this to anybody, are some of the, the color schemes on NASCARs from the 1970s and 80s. Like when I see them, I'm just, my breath is taken away. Number 43, Richard Petty's Petty Blue, like it's just a beautiful car. The, the uh, 33, Harry Gantt Skull Car, Wrangler, number three, like I see, and I, See, everybody gets silent at this point, and they did it in the last, because you have no idea what I'm even talking about. And you think, oh, you're not just an idiot, you are a redneck idiot, talking about NASCAR, being beautiful. But I realize that, that, that it's hard to bring you into such beauty. And, and it's the same way some of us feel when we talk about righteousness. Because... When someone begins to speak about righteousness and holiness, we feel the same way. Some of us can't wrap our minds around the fact that righteousness is meant to be beautiful. It's meant to be appealing. It's meant to be breathtaking. Holiness in the Bible is meant to be admired. It's meant to be beautiful. 
And, and yet, when we hear those words, righteousness and holiness, for some of us, we get sick at our stomach because we're, we're thinking about a list of things that we need to do. We're thinking about a life of drudgery. We're thinking about what someone in our past described as what it meant to be holy. You look a certain way, you act a certain way, you speak a certain way. And we think about those things and we're not drawn to those things. And yet here in our text, Paul says the righteousness that God has given us in the gospel is to be the absolute most beautiful thing to us. Holiness of Jesus Christ is to be admired. It's to be breathtaking. And the righteousness in the gospel is what makes the gospel beautiful. It's what makes the gospel sing. It's what makes the gospel work. And so in the gospel, when we hear righteousness and holiness, we're to think beauty. Jesus is perfect life in my place. A life I couldn't live. How beautiful is that, that he gives it to me when I just believe in him? The cross, which sums up all of Jesus' righteousness. His death in my place for my sin. How beautiful is it that by faith that is credited to me when I believe in Jesus. And that's what Paul's getting at in verse 8. So often we come to verse 8 and we see all of those words that are just packed there. And we begin to think generically about what's true and honorable and just and, and things that are lovely and beautiful and commendable in the world. And we begin to search for those things. Paul is talking about a very specific thing here. He, he is talking about the righteousness of Christ using all of these words here. He says this is what describes the perfection of Christ, which we've talked about in Philippians, is summed up in his righteous work on the cross for us. He says, I'm going to describe it in every way I possibly can. I'm going to pack all these words in and I'm going to try to describe to you what the holiness of Jesus is, what the righteousness of Jesus is, what his work is. And it's all of these things. He comes at it from every angle in this one verse to say to us, his righteousness is inexhaustible. And he uses all these words to describe his righteousness as appealing, something we should be drawn to. It's breathtaking. He almost uses flowery words here to describe the beauty of Jesus's perfection. And at the end of verse 8, he says this, we are to notice, he says, think about these things that describe his righteousness. The word think means to meditate, consider, reckon, mull over. Remember last week we talked about worry and how one of the things we do when we worry is we mull over the worst case scenario. At the heart of worry, that's what it is. We continually think about something we have no control in and we worry about it. Here, he says, no, mull over Jesus and his righteousness. The same way you would worry, the same way you would mull over and even seethe over things you can't control and anxiety, think and mull over and constantly focus on Jesus's righteousness. And so what does that look like? Well, first of all, he says, focus, think on what is true. Notice the word, what is true. It means to be dependable or faithful or trustworthy. And right now, there's a lot of people, a lot of groups of people, systems 
government that we look at and we go, are those things true? Can those people be trusted? Are they dependable? And we get worried and he says, no, stop. Think about Jesus who's true. There's a cross. There's an empty tomb that says God fulfills all of his promises. So as you feel the anxiety of things that are untrue, uh, that you can't depend upon, think about Jesus who is always true. Notice, think on whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. This refers to behavior that deserves to be exalted and championed and admired. We live in a world where we honor things that are dishonorable. Think about the things that you see the most. Think about the behavior in the world right now that is lifted up as being honorable. The things that people do that are wicked and disgusting, and yet we look upon and we say, that, that's something we want to champion. That's something we want to promote. And he says, in a world like this where it's backwards, think about what is honorable. And Paul has explained what is the most honorable thing ever. And it's that Jesus, who had all authority, all power, all glory, became a man. He became a slave. He became a curse on a cross. And what has God done? He has lifted him up and every knee and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the most honorable. So if you want to honor behavior, look at what Jesus has done in dying for sins. He is lifted up. Think about what is honorable. Ponder. Think about whatever is just. The word means right. We live in a world where... What is unjust is considered rightness. What is wrong is often promoted as right. Again, we live in a backwards world. It's hard for us to know. We hear a lot about this idea of injustice. Justice is determined by the character of God. We start with Him. He determines what is right. He determines what is wrong. Yet we live in a world where it's tainted by wrong. And yet God promises Jesus who is right from the inside out. He will come one day and he will make everything right because he's right. He's the only one that gets to do that. He's the only one who will rid the world of injustice because he's just. And either either all that is wrong will be paid for on the cross or will be paid for at the end of his sword when he comes to rule and reign. Think about Jesus. You look at a world and you see injustice. He says, think and ponder Jesus. Think about what is pure. Notice the word pure. It means to be without Sin, free from sin, morally pure, meaning whatever you do is pure. It it has no stain of sin. We live in a world that is stained by sin. It's unwhole. You have sin and you have the curse of death in the world to tell us this is not the way God created it. And yet Jesus is above it all. He's not stained by sin. Isaiah 6, when Isaiah is worried about the world he lives in, the kingdom, he's stressed out. He goes into the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. That is Jesus high and lifted up in the temple as a king of kings who has no sin. He has all authority. He is holy, holy, holy. He is other than, other than, other than, other than anything in the world. He's free from sin. Think about Jesus. He is the one that has, a, has clean hands and a pure heart. Think about Jesus in a world of sin, stained by sin. Consider whatever is lovely. Now this word, lovely, is actually a very lovely word. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. It means 
that which causes love in your heart. <laughs> Meaning you see someone, something, you see an act, and you so appreciate it and admire it, it causes you to love. Well, who's the one that does that for us? <laughs> the one who loves his enemies, Jesus. The one who loves his bride to no end, the story we find in the Bible. So in a world where you see folks who are unloving, they're very selfish, and you're not drawn to love when you look at the world, you're lo- you, you, you wonder, where is the love? Where is it? Oh, think about Jesus. That's love. Focus. Remember, remember we are to mull over. We are to almost righteously seethe. We are to think. We are to ponder. We are cons- to consider. And I know this is... As we move through it, you got to focus, you got to think, and notice what he says, think about what is commendable. The word means to brag. It means to recognize, to give a good report about. We live in a world where there's very little to commend right now. I had a friend on Twitter post this yesterday. He says, if God does not judge America because of what we see, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because when we look out, what do we see that's commendable? What do we see? What, where, what behavior do we see? And we say, that, that's it. It's hard to find. But it's not hard to find in Jesus. Everything he's ever done, his person inside and out, is commendable. We search his goodness and we brag about him. We commend him. Notice again, the text continues. Zero back in. Look at the words on the page. Whatever is excellent. That word excellent, it means virtuous. It means good on the inside and out. And it also carries the meaning of having weight. It's someone who, they are so good, their presence is weighty. Who does that describe? Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is virtuous inside and out. And so he has excellence. He has weight. Think about him. Whatever is praiseworthy. What causes you to bow. What invokes reverence. Ultimately, we see that as Jesus. He is the one who is praiseworthy. So you look out at the world. You look out at people, places, things. What are you going to praise? Ultimately, Jesus is the one you have to praise for it all. And the more you praise him, you are weaned off of yourself to his worth. Think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. And here's the point. Your joy in the world will be determined by your focus on Jesus. Do you feel let down? Do you feel like you can't find what is good in the world in which we live? Are you looking for things that are true? Do you feel miserable with bad news? How much are you really thinking about Jesus? Do you, do you have anything within you when the wrong, the bad, unholy, sinful, wicked things grab your attention to say, no, I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to take the word of God. I'm going to dive in to the righteousness of Christ, the goodness of Jesus. But he goes even further. Notice verse 9. He says, what you have learned and Received and heard and seen in me. Now, all of those words, they involve mental 
They involve you to think. They involve you to be engaged mentally, processing things. You hear things. And, and I want to be... I want to be clear, Christianity isn't this event or this mystical, emotional thing that we just experience. Those things are, are true. The emotions are true. But at the heart of Christianity, there is a mental discipline to love God with your mind. That's why he revealed himself with words in a book. You have to read. You have to think. Why? The more... You stretch your mind with the glory and beauty and righteousness of Christ. What we're going to see here is our hearts are expanded and it transforms our life. So notice what he says, what you've seen, what you've heard, what, 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 what you've received from us. Notice the word practice. The word just means do. Your mind, you've been, your minds have been expanded by the righteousness of Christ in the gospel. Now do the things that you've seen and you've heard in us. You've seen us mimic these things that Paul has just described here. You, you've seen little glimpses in our lives of what it looks like to follow Christ. So now you follow us. Practice these things. And notice the description there. It is a description of discipleship. We teach all that Jesus commanded. But also, as we teach and we follow Christ... We, we, we teach what Jesus commanded, but we also do those things. And then we do what Paul does here. I'm going to teach others, and then they're going to do them. It's, it's a picture of discipleship. He says the things that you've seen in us that we've mimicked of Jesus, you mimic of us. And how can he say this? It's what we talked about a few weeks ago. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. So the extent that you have seen me mimic the righteousness of Christ... You do the same. And so Paul would say about all of these things that he's just described, you have seen them in us. You have seen in us that sacrifice is true. Paul, who's in and out of prison constantly for preaching the gospel for the good of the church, he says, you've seen that. That's not a mystery to you what it looks like. It looks like suffering for the sake of others. As much as you've seen true and faithfulness in our suffering, you do it. You sacrifice. You've seen that a cross is honorable. Remember, whatever is honorable. You've seen that dying on a cross in Jesus is honorable. And you've seen us take up our cross and follow Jesus. Now you do it. You take up your cross and follow Jesus because you've seen that it's honorable. You've seen that inconvenience is right, so do not shun from it. You have seen that other-centeredness is a display of holiness, so you pursue it. Do, do these things. The righteousness of Christ that has been displayed before you in our suffering, in our sacrifice, you do them. You've seen that dying to yourself is lovely, it's attractive. People who are selfish... They don't have a lot of people who are just drawn to them. If it's just about you, it's just about me, you serve me, you do what I want. You're not going to have a lot of people flocking to you. But you begin to love others selflessly. And people are drawn to that. They're attracted to You've seen that dying to self is what is lovely. You've seen that giving at all costs is to be commendable. So you keep giving. Those things you've seen us do, you keep doing. You've seen that suffering proves the worth of the gospel. It is excellent, so embrace it. You, you've seen that meekness and humility is praiseworthy. So surrender to such a life. So he, he's calling them 
to be amazed at Jesus' beauty, and then to notice it where they've seen it in their lives, and as you've noticed it, you do it. You get the joy of being like Christ. And, And notice it all begins in thinking about Christ. Think, talk, learn, receive. And, and, and here's the truth. You are less like Jesus in all the areas where you don't think about Jesus. And if you thought about Jesus more, you would be more like Jesus. It's that simple. How much time do you spend thinking about Jesus? Because Christ-likeness isn't something that just happens. We don't encounter other people in situations and we go, I know I need to be like Jesus here. I need to be loving. I need to be merciful. I need to be kind. I need to be bold. I need to be courageous. And it just happened. It's not going to happen if you're never thinking about Jesus because you're not going to know what Jesus would do in those moments if you're never thinking about him. And I, and I want to invite you to do something. Take your, this is a Bible. It's a book, okay? You get them, they're really cheap. You can probably find, we'll give you one. Never mind, you don't have to buy them. If you've never seen one of these outside a phone or device or computer, this is a Bible. And here's the thing. You need time where you take one of these and you take the phone and you take the iPad and you take all the electronics and you just go get away, lock yourself in a closet with just this. You need that. Because guess what? You, you can't take your finger and scroll, hit the home key and go check Facebook, hit the home key and go to Instagram, click out of whatever you're on, respond to email, read that text, Figure out if your team's winning. Oh, there's an update. You you need to get alone with the Word of God and just engage mentally and just don't come away. Fight the urge to get away. Because we're not trained to think anymore. We're trained to be passive about everything. And we just let information come. You're going to have to be aggressive in the pursuit to think, think, engage, seethe. Spend time alone with the Word of God. So you're thinking about Jesus. And Paul says here, the more that you think about Him, according to the Word, according to His story, you will become more like Him. And why is this? Because we will be drawn to Him. That's what Paul is trying to communicate here. Notice all of those words, they almost seem flowery. And what he's trying to say is the righteousness of Jesus is beautiful. It's glorious. And if you would just think about it, and as you've seen it in our life, you will attest to the fact that it is the most beautiful thing in the world. How Jesus lives, what Jesus feels, what Jesus thinks is beautiful. And the more you think on it, you're going to be drawn to it. You see, we think about righteousness, holiness, Christ-likeness, it's just drudgery. It's scary. It's something I don't want to engage in. But I guarantee you, if you are in the Word of God, just thinking about Jesus and His righteousness, you will will long to be like Him. It will be beautiful. It will be attractive to you. As you dwell on His trueness, you will long to be true. 
His faithfulness. You will long to be faithful. I'm going to fulfill all my promises. I want to be like Jesus. My word means something. Jesus' word means something. And I see the beauty in that. Because I see it in Jesus who fulfills all of God's words. So I want to be faithful because I've seen the beauty of faithfulness in Jesus. When you meditate on His cross, you'll be drawn to suffer and sacrifice for others. You will be pulled toward its beauty. The beauty of the cross. Crucified for His enemies. The love He has for His bride. On full display, no one's ever loved like that. No one deserves to be honored. That The end of human history, as we sung today, is Jesus who is worthy to open the scrolls. Meaning, he's, he's worthy to tell the end of the story. Why? Because he was crucified. He was a lamb that was slain. He's, he's worthy to be worshipped by the nations. Why? He was a lamb that was slain. There is beauty in crucifixion. There is beauty in taking up your cross. And the more time you spend at the cross of Christ, you will long to be like Jesus who suffers and sacrifices for others. The more you study God's rightness, you will long to stand before Him right in Jesus. It will be a beautiful thing to you. The more you think about His purity, you will be lulled to sleep, from your sin and lured out to holiness in your own life. When you, Jesus, if, you need to get lost in the gospel sometimes. Where you, you just stand back and you look at the Son of God who everything He says, everything comes out of His mouth, every decision He's making comes from a pure heart. It is totally right. He never had a sinful emotion. He never had a sinful thought. And you look in on that and it's beautiful. It's glorious. And you will be drawn to holiness and you will begin to hate sin. And you'll say, no, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to know what that's like. The more you dwell on his love, you will be wooed to love the way he does. Do you ever have those moments where you're in a conflict and you have the other person on the other side of the table or the, and you go, I know I've got to love you right now. Man, I know, but I don't know if I can. How much have you thought about Jesus? He loved you who was his enemy. And it's a beautiful thing. And you get to display that beauty in loving others. You're not thinking, you're not dwelling on the love of Christ. You will not mimic it in your life. As you commend your own soul to Jesus, He will be commendable to you. You will brag on Him. As you see His excellence and His worth, you will long to live a life that is worthy, that, that displays the worth of the gospel even in suffering. As you, as you praise His worth, as you see Him as the only one who is praiseworthy, you will see that that comes from a, a cross. Humiliation leads to exaltation. And you will long for that kind of praise, that kind of worth, that kind of exaltation in your life. How much are you thinking on Jesus? But what's so important as we finish verse 9, notice he says, and the peace of God will be with you. It's very interesting the way he describes peace here. We think about shalom. We think the war is over. The conflict is over. 
And it's this state of being where I'm not fighting with God anymore and I'm experiencing His peace. I'm literally experiencing His delight. The peace of God rests on your life. The delight of God rests on your life. As you think about Christ, as you long to be like Christ, the peace of God rests with you. It will be with you. And why is that? Well, Paul's explained it throughout the letter. So we need to think on Christ. We need to try to be, we, we need to long to be like Christ by thinking about Christ. But Paul at the end of the day says all peace comes from what? Being in Christ. In Christ. And, and so his point here is you long for these things, you study these things, you seek to be these things, you seek to mimic Christ. The reality is we're going to realize we're not like Christ. The, the list here proves that Jesus' righteousness is inexhaustible and it's really unattainable. Paul could go on for days describing it. And you know that. The closer, I know this in my own life, the closer I get to Jesus, I, I feel the most unlike Jesus. Because he's perfect. And the closer I get, I see more of my imperfections. And so what would Paul say to do here? Think about what's true. What is true of you when you believe the gospel and you're in Christ? His trueness is credited to you. And so you may be a person here today and you've broken promises. You've lied. You believe the lie in your own heart. You're a liar. You lie to yourself. You say you'll be pleased with this sin or this thing and it doesn't please you. And you've caused yourself the most trouble because you lie in your own heart. In Christ... You're true because Christ is true and that's credited to you when you believe in him and you stand before God. True. Think about what's true. You're true in Christ. Think about what's honorable. The way you've lived your life where you've elevated yourself in honor and it's all about you. Well, when you believe in Christ, the one who took on dishonor for you, he became a no name, was crucified for you. He's lifted up. That honor is given to you in Christ. Think about what's true of you in Christ. You have been made honorable in Christ. Meditate upon what is just. The righteousness of Christ that makes you just. The greatest injustice in the world is that we would sin against God. He's holy and He's righteous and we sin against Him. There is infinite injustice there. And as you look out at the world and you see all kinds of injustice... The one you should be most concerned about is your injustice. You sinned against God. And what would be just of you is that you spend eternity in hell. Oh, but what's true of you in Christ is that the just became unjust for you. And He died on the cross, an unjust death in your place, that in Him you can think what is true. You are just in Him. We're to mull over The righteousness that makes us pure. Again, the closer we get to Jesus' holy, pure heart, we realize the wickedness in our own heart. And yet the story ends in us fully covered in the blood of the Lamb, the holy Lamb of God. His blood sets us apart from our sin and it will penetrate even to the deepest areas of our soul that are marked by darkness and blackness, things that we don't want anybody else to know about. His blood will make us pure. Think about what is true of you in Christ. You've already been judged. You are pure. Consider what is lovely. 
You, you think of yourself, you repel people from you, but Jesus loves you anyway. And he has made you lovely before God by loving you. Dwell upon what the righteousness that commends you to God. You don't have anything to offer God. The writer Isaiah would say it's like dirty toilet paper. And that's, that's a PG description of what he's describing there. That's all you have to offer God. You have nothing. But in Christ, you have the righteousness of Jesus to offer God. You have something to commend God. Think about what you have to commend God. Consider the righteousness of Christ that makes you worthy before God. You have the worth needed to place on the scales of eternity before God. Accept it. Consider the righteousness that makes you praiseworthy, which sounds interesting. Why would God praise me for anything? Well, He loves and He delights in His Son, and Jesus is praiseworthy. And when you're in Him, you're praiseworthy. And I think that's what the writer of Zephaniah means when he says that God sings over us. Can you imagine that? God doesn't fuss, but His love and delight for us causes God to sing, is what Zephaniah says. Think about that. The cosmic voice of God thundering in delight over you. Think about that. When you, when you feel despicable and unworthy, God sings over you in Christ. Isn't that amazing? You want joy in this world? Where there doesn't seem to be a lot of joy? Think about the fact that in Christ you are praiseworthy. Paul's saying here, think about the gospel. How much do you think about Jesus? Just honestly. I, I think if you were honest, you would say that has so much to do with your emotional state. How you feel. How you act. How much do you think about? That's what Paul's pointers are. Think, think about it. Long to be like Jesus. Be attracted to his beauty in the gospel. The word righteousness, holiness, they may not sound beautiful. But for those who think upon it, think upon it and know that it's yours in Christ. You're drawn to it. There's joy in it. There's hope in it. You, you would stand back with Paul and say, if I tried to explain the righteousness and perfection of Jesus, there are not enough words to describe it. But we're not left searching for words. Because for those who believe the gospel, we have the word. He's made flesh. And we will spend this whole life thinking, fighting to think about him. And yet there's a day where our thinking will become seeing. You will see Jesus. The one you've tried to think about. The one you've tried to describe. You will see him. And he promises you will be made like him. Do you get tired of your sin? Do you, we live in a world where we are at pains to tell ourselves we're not as bad as we are. Out of love... You're worse than you ever imagined. And you know that. You feel it. You 
ever get tired of that? The promise of the gospel is it's not just thinking and trying. If you're in Christ, one day you will sin no more. Saved to sin no more. Thinking will be seen and we will be made like Him. Not just in Him, but with Him.